My most famous proverb is where two or three of the Lord's people are gathered together, sooner or later, there's a mess. In some ways, the pressure is off. We don't have to perform for Him. He does the performing in us and through us. Welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and as the year 2017 draws to a close, we're going to go back over the year and share with you just a few of the many interviews we've featured. We'll begin in just a moment with Ed Cannon. Throughout 2017, support for this program has been provided by the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC believes in the power of the gospel to change lives and has seen that happen all over the world through its broadcasts. Thank you for your support of FEBC over the past year, and together, Let's look forward to what the Lord has in store for the ministry in the coming year. To learn more, please visit firstpersoninterview.com and click on the banner for FEBC. Well, today you'll be hearing highlights of just four of the many interviews in recent months. The full version of these conversations is archived on our website, and you can listen anytime at firstpersoninterview.com. Let's get started with our review of 2017. Here's an interview with Ed Cannon, president of FEBC, Ed, tell us about the over 2 million who respond to the ministry each year. That's a lot of stories, and every one is just as rich as the previous one. Hmm. And one of our goals, Wayne, is to measure the effectiveness of our broadcasts and our communication. And the best way we feel to measure that is listening to the responses that we get from those who listen. Mm-hmm. And by their testimonies, we understand that we're actually making transformations in lives of people by broadcasting the gospel. If that weren't the case, we would simply be broadcasting without any knowledge of whether we're being effective. Sure. I know you're doing everything you possibly can so that we in North America hear these stories of all these listeners' lives being changed by FEBC. One of the ways that we do that together is that we produce an online devotional that's available to our first-person listeners right now. Yeah, it's a 30-day devotional filled with stories of the transformation of lives from listeners. Many of them are the letters we receive from people, and some of them are actual video recordings of listeners who have responded and allowed us to tape them. Those video recordings demonstrate what it's like to live in a country like Kyrgyzstan or Cambodia or the Ukraine and understand the difficulties. So if these are the kind of stories that can enrich your life and enrich those that you know, so please go online to firstpersoninterview.com and sign up for that devotion. There's no obligation, and you'll receive a free 30-day devotion filled with the kinds of stories that we talk about where people's lives are transformed through the broadcast of the gospel. Yeah, and we will have all the information about this devotional at that website, firstpersoninterview.com. All right, we're uh, on this tour of uh, ministry radio stations around the world operated by the Far East Broadcasting Company. We've talked about Kyrgyzstan, Cambodia. Let's talk about Ukraine. You know I have a great love for the country of Ukraine and its people. They're going through very difficult times with the war. I know there's a lot of suffering in Ukraine. How is FEBC responding? Well, we continue to broadcast the gospel despite the torn country, despite the fact that we've had our stations destroyed. We've even had our staff killed by the separatists who were violently opposed to the broadcast of the gospel. But through the fearless pursuit of our staff, we're still broadcasting the gospel on five FM stations now in Ukraine. That's grown. It's it, Yeah, it was zero five years ago. So that's exponential growth. <laughs> the government of Ukraine is very friendly to our message because it's providing hope 
in a, in a time when the people are just in despair and they have nothing to grip onto. So we're providing that message in the middle of war-torn Ukraine. Many, many people are responding. Even some of the soldiers fighting on the opposite side have heard our broadcasts and written to our station. Yeah, give me an idea. I mean, what difference can a radio station make in the midst of a war zone? What difference can the gospel make in the midst of a broken life? It's absolutely simple. We don't trust our own knowledge or wisdom or on what to say. The power is in God's message, and that message is most effective when people have nothing else to distract them, when everything in your life has been taken away, loved ones, home, security, education, jobs, which is what wars do. The only thing that can matter in people's lives is the gospel. Our staff pray and they broadcast the gospel as clearly as they can, and we count on God to make the difference in people's lives. I understand one of the news stations, the newest station, is in Odessa in Ukraine, which is a historic, beautiful city. It's a beautiful city, very torn with difficulties, strife, corruption. A lot of ethnic differences there. And yet the gospel speaks across all those differences, bridges all those gaps, corresponds all those differences in culture. We'll talk about some more countries in just a moment, but when you look at the whole, what what's on your heart about FEBC's broadcast these days? You know, it seems like when you look at the world today, everyone's thinking about all the troubles, terrorism, uh, the European Union struggles, economic struggles, the difficulty in Syria, the difficulty with North Korea. It's all challenging, but yet what I see is a world that's still in need of hope and probably in a position, Wayne, where they're more receptive to hearing the gospel and hearing the truth. So our staff worldwide are prayerful and encouraged that as we continue to stick to our goal, our mission, which is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is a world that's in need and will hear and will respond. Ed Cannon is president of the Far East Broadcasting Company and tells such great stories of the gospel ministry. Let's continue these highlights of the past year on First Person. Here's Evie Tornquist Carlson, one of the earliest contemporary musical artists. Talk about some of those songs you sang, songs like Mirror and... Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's so many that I could mention, and, and so many people listening right now could probably remember many of the lyrics of those songs, but those were very special oh. to you, weren't they? Well, again... Um, the folks at Word Records were um, were really in tune to what type of music I could connect with. Um, I'm not a singer songwriter. I've I've only written in all these years one song myself that was recorded, but all the other tunes have been songs that others have written. Anyone can go mm-hmm. online to YouTube, and you are a YouTube oh, yeah. star today. I mean, you have so many of your songs are, are there, and uh, uh, singing at places like the Billy Graham Crusades, and uh, it was, yeah. it's, it's marvelous to see you there yeah. online. Well, again, you know, that was, that was the open door after open door. Years and years and years ago, there were two wonderful guys by the name of Phil and Louis Palermo. Oh, the Palermo brothers, of course. <laughs> yes, the Palermo brothers. They were in Minneapolis, but they did a lot of ministry uh, throughout the Midwest and particularly in the Chicago area. And those dear men that are now with the Lord, and their wives are also with the Lord, 
um, somehow they got a hold of one of my first, um, I believe it was my very first record, which was done when I was 14. Um, it was a custom record, so um, I borrowed $1,800 from my dad and funded that and paid him back as soon as we got to selling some records. And the Palermo brothers got a hold of that record. And they were the ones that called Cliff Barrows from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and said, you got to hear this gal, you got to hear this gal. And I think Cliff, who now is with the Lord as well, would have... I, in fact, I think he said to me, you know, strictly to sort of silence these dear men, I needed to listen to that record. <laughs> and he did, and he he called, spoke with my mom, and said, we've got a Billy Graham crusade coming up in the early 70s, this would have been, in Brussels, Belgium, called Eurofest, which was for young people throughout all of Europe. And he said, we're having musicians from different countries come and represent their country um, for the different nights of music. Could we ask Evie to come and sort of represent Norway? Uh, Because to clarify, I am fully Norwegian and my husband is fully Swedish. So amazing things happen when Norwegians and Swedes get together. <laughs> and it, it's, a, it's a miracle that we've stayed friends all these years. But anyway, um, that was the beginning of a wonderful, wonderful relationship with Cliff Barrows, with Dr. Billy Graham, with Bev Shea, and the entire team, which really became sort of like a Bible school experience for me as a young gal, because I went to Belgium and represented Norway, sang some songs, and Cliff said, please come to our next crusade in the United States, which was Seattle, Washington. And that was amazing. That was back in, you know, the early to mid-70s, and the average number of people attending on a night there at the King Dome in Seattle was about 60, 70, 80,000 people. Mm. <laughs> and it was just remarkable how, in, in the process of all of that, the Palermo brothers also called Kurt Kaiser with Word Records and said, you've got to hear this gal. And they had nothing to gain to bang on people's doors like they did, but bless their hearts. And I am so thankful for how God used them and how willing they were. And they became like a family to our family. Evie Tornquist Carlson. We'll continue with George Verwer coming up on this edition of First Person. I'm Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. We've produced a number of storytelling videos of God at work in the lives of FEBC listeners living in difficult circumstances. To see these videos and to be encouraged in God's Word, please visit firstpersoninterview.com and sign up for our 30-day online devotional. It's easy and there's no obligation. You will love seeing and hearing stories of people's lives being saved through the gospel message. 
go to firstpersoninterview.com. Let's continue our review, my conversation now with George Verwer. And I have many friends who were in school with you at Moody Bible Institute, and they've told me about that Verwer fervor at the time. But did it go back prior to Moody? When, when did you come to know the Lord? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It went back before I got to Moody because really the crisis was a Billy Graham meeting in New York City. I wasn't from a Christian family. We had Christian values in a small way. And I had good parents, if you measure parents on a human level. But Jesus was not in the equation. And it all changed through the prayers of a woman who heard about me. I'd broken into a house. The police had caught me. I wasn't stealing, but they had other ideas. And people were talking about me. So she put my name on her, what I call, Holy Ghost hit list and prayed not only that I'd become a Christian, but she prayed I'd become a missionary. And she never, never even spoke to me about it. And Sent me a gospel, John, through the post. That was a big factor. I was a reader. I was starting into a mild form of porno at that time. And then Billy Graham came for a one-night meeting with Jack Wurtston, converted band leader, word of life guy. Mm-hmm. And that night in Madison Square Garden really set the fire. And I can say, honestly, the fire has always been there. In the first year or two, uh, there was a, you know, a lot of struggles. I was a baby Christian I don't think the fire in terms of in-depth spiritual reality was there, but the beginnings of it were there. And um, You knew a change had happened in your yeah, life. Yeah, and I had also, after a few weeks, reading a booklet, literature and radio ministry played a big role in my life. Donald Gray Barnhouse on the radio. Mm-hmm. And then I was one of the first ones to get ministry on records. In fact, I sold them door-to-door here in Wheaton, but then my friend, I let him do it instead. Audio Bible study was called. That's a long time ago. The first ministry ever to put on phonograph records. Which were those uh, these big-looking CDs of their day, right? <laughs> yeah. But vinyl, we call them now, are oh, becoming yeah. popular it's again. It's becoming very popular. It's outselling CDs, I hear, I in many places. <laughs> so what goes around comes around. Huh? <laughs> well, I knew about uh, Billy Graham's influence on you. I did not know about Jack Wurtson, though. He sponsored that rally. And then later, I also heard him preach, especially dealing with lust, which was my one of my big struggles. So that was all a combination there in New York mm-hmm. City. Two years later, when Billy came for the big campaign, I was then hiring buses from my church parking lot and started nights of prayer in my hometown. That was that a was radical the beginning. change in your life then. Yeah, that was the beginning of this whole prayer movement, which uh, which has been a vital part of our own movement, the prayer nights all over the world, prayer days. And that continues to this day. We're celebrating our 60th year since three of us went to Mexico. Mm. And that was from uh, Maryville College. Because of Mexico, because of this man I met at Maryville, Dale Rotan, who became like a mentor and friend. Yeah, I've I met left. him here in town. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, he graduated from Wheaton. He went to Wheaton, but he influenced me but I chose Moody because I wanted to be in the city. I didn't want to be in the suburbs like Maryville College because my passion wasn't firstly study, actually. It was evangelism. Hmm. When did the vision for OM come into being? It really evolved. And when I went to Mexico the second summer, and that was from Moody, I had to get new people. Dale was going to join Whitcliffe. I didn't expect to have much contact with him. And that famous story in our history, I came to Wheaton, and challenged Dale to forget the Wycliffe thing. They're dealing with small numbers and to go to Turkey where there were 30 or 40 million, 70 million now. Mm. But our work was called Send the Light and it was only through my fiasco 
in Russia being arrested by the KGB in my plan to smuggle and distribute literature in the Soviet Union. I sent Dale to the Middle East. Let me just back up and say the original vision only included those countries. Yeah, but it was through the that, 1040 window before we knew it as yeah, the 1040 exactly. window, right? But through that failure, I spent a day of prayer in prayer in Austria, and that's when God gave the name Operation Mobilization. And the vision, mobilize Europeans and let them, they can drive to these countries. I was thinking we had airfares to get to Afghanistan, and pretty soon that was happening. The next summer, 200 joined. The next summer, 2,000. And since then, and this is not an exaggeration, 200,000 have served with, with OM. Wow, of course. One woman prayed. Of course, Logos Hope is a part of that as well, an important part of that today. Yeah, that came a little later. After driving to India in those vehicles and always looking at the water, taking vehicles across the English Channel, I first went to Europe on the Queen Elizabeth. This vision came to me that, because we had a couple hundred vehicles by then, crisscrossing the whole Middle East all the way to India, I felt we need at least one ship and started the ship ministry in 1970-71. And we've had four ships since then. And 45 million have been up the gangway and at least 100 million have been given the gospel through the ship ministry. George Verwer of Operation Mobilization. We're hearing first-person highlights of 2017. Let's listen to a portion of our conversation with Ambassador Scott Gratian. Well, you've had such a distinguished career. Uh, let's let's talk about the Air Force. Uh, you are a, a general, retired yes. U.S. Air Force. When did that career start? You were a, a pilot, right? I was a private pilot. I got my private pilot's license in in college, and then uh, I had an experience. You know, Vietnam was raging, and and I had uh, a pretty bad draft number. <laughs> you <laughs> We're remember about the that. same age. I, I had a, a good draft number. Yours wasn't so good. No. And, and then, so the threat of going to Vietnam in the ground, uh, I said, well, maybe I should really join the Air Force and, and, and fly. <laughs> so it all worked out that I was able to join the Air Force. I got a pilot training slot and went down to Columbus, Mississippi and learned how to fly. And then I was selected as an instructor pilot in the T-38. It's a supersonic trainer. And so I spent my first couple of years doing that in Mississippi. Then I moved into fighters, and I flew the F-5, uh, the F-16, uh, and the F-15. And then I flew some other airplanes uh, for a total of about 5,000 hours. Wow, combat included? Yeah, 2,000 hours as an instructor pilot. But then, I don't know if, lucky or unlucky, but I was chosen to fly combat missions uh, quite a bit. And I did seven years in combat, uh, enforcing no-fly zones. In fact, I ended up flying more combat missions supporting the no-fly zones than any other American over there, 274 mm. combat missions. Uh, and uh, fortunately, survived all those. Had to have some scary moments, though. I had some scary moments, and, and it, was, it was tough. But my biggest scary moment came when I was a F-5 instructor pilot in Phoenix, Arizona. And, and if you don't mind, I'll just tell a little bit about it. Sure. Uh, because it was a life-changing event for me. Uh, I'd taken off in the afternoon. Uh, I was flying one single-seat fighter, and my friend was flying the other. He was getting ready for an instrument ride. So my job was to make sure that the air was clear and we didn't bump into anybody. Uh, so the ride was just gorgeous. Sun was setting behind us as we were heading towards San Antonio. And big, puffy, it looked like cotton candy in the distance. And uh, it looked beautiful. Didn't realize that... Within 30 minutes, I would almost lose my life. Mm. As we descended down to the clouds, the sun was set and it was dark and rain was just streaking the canopy and I could barely see the other airplane. Uh, 
looking out, I knew there was a big hunk of metal out there, and, <laughs> and I had to fly. Normally, we fly three feet wingtip clearance, and I had to even be closer. Three he, feet? Yeah, that's our normal formation. Wow. For, if you're outside of that, you're probably not going to be able to see through the clouds and see your buddy. <laughs> and if you're closer than that, of course, uh, it becomes dangerous to see, and you might even hit. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you don't want to do that. But I was tucked in as close as I could safely tuck in, flying over with just uh, some lights on the wing and a light on the tail. And I knew we were going to turn at about 4,000 feet, and all of a sudden the airplane disappeared. Hmm. So I rolled out and, and moved away from the airplane, and I looked back at my own gauges, and I was on my back, oh. 60 degrees nose low, diving toward the ground. I saw the lights of the suburbs of San Antonio coming up to me, and... I frantically tried to recover the airplane, and a miracle happened that night. I, mm. I really should have probably been a fireball, but the airplane recovered between a farmhouse and a row of trees that I could actually see. That's mm. how close I was to the ground. And and I got back up in the clouds, and it's sort of like being locked in a closet without any kind of visual clues. My head was spinning, and I finally was able to convince myself that I was straight and level 300 knots. Wow. And And that night when I closed my eyes... All I could see is uh, the ground rushing up, the altimeter screaming down, the airspeed increasing, and death approaching. And I realized that if I had died that night, I would have left just a room full of plaques. I'd been very lucky. I'd been junior officer of the year, instructor pilot of the year, and I had a lot of accolades. But I really wouldn't have not left very much. And and the significance of the dash between my birth date and death date would not have been very significant. Sure, you know, my wife would have missed me and my son and the squadron would have been sad, but but there's really nothing that I had done. So I looked for opportunities outside of myself uh, to to make a difference. And I changed my priorities from being self-centered uh, to try to help the world. And I went to Uganda under Idi Amin and did a bunch of other things. But the reality is, is that that, that experience early in my career as an F-5 instructor pilot uh, probably changed the course of my life and made me look at other opportunities to serve with servant leadership and, and to help people out. You know, we have so much and so much to share. Yeah. You had to see the hand of the Lord in that, right? I did. A miracle happened that night. In fact, as if you take a look at where I started and where I ended up, I should have been about 200 feet in the ground. So as I understand it, your instruments saved your life. So we're, we're taught to, to fly off our instruments, even though the seat of our pants indications and our head is spinning and to overcome the, those physical erroneous sensations that, that mock at you actually, uh, and, and fly the instruments. Uh, but yes, I, I, there's been several times that I owe my life. You know, they say you get nine lives if you're a cat. Uh, I don't know how much you get as a human, but I'm pretty much near the end. I've had a lot of opportunities, but the good Lord hasn't uh, been finished with me yet. So yeah. I keep on going. Ambassador Scott Gratian. Each of the interviews featured just now in our review is available in its entirety in the audio archive at firstpersoninterview.com. As we close out 2017 and look forward to 2018, I invite you to learn more about the Far East Broadcasting Company and its ministry in nearly 50 countries of the world and in close to 100 languages. Millions who listen are contacting FEBC to thank them and ultimately you for making it possible to hear and study God's Word. And if you'd like to receive a free online 30-day devotional with listener stories and scripture thoughts, please sign up at firstpersoninterview.com. The devotional would make a great start to the new year. Firstpersoninterview.com. Well, Happy New Year. And with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Be sure to join us next time for First Person.